St. Louis County government has been in a state of transition over the past few months, especially after a contentious county executive election and continued efforts to combat COVID-19. St. Louis County Council Chairwoman Lisa Clancy has been a central figure in a lot of these debates, and the Maplewood Democrat joins me on the latest episode of Politically Speaking to talk about County Executive Page's standing with the council and the future of efforts to get more money for early childhood education. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that, that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me as my special guest today, the chairwoman of the St. Louis County Council and the official councilwoman of Jason Rosenbaum, our our special guest today is. Hello, Jason. Good to see you. Good to be back. And that is Councilwoman Lisa Clancy, a Democrat from Maplewood. Thank you for joining us. We have a lot to talk about today, and I want to spend the first part talking about early childhood education, which I think has been a big passion of yours and which has been an issue of of consequence lately. Um, The reason I want to bring this up is there was a proposal that was before the county council that would have been a half-cent sales tax aimed at bolstering early childhood education. And it ran into a lot of criticism, and I'm going to go through a lot of the criticism as we, we, we talk in this conversation. But I want to give you a chance to explain like what you were trying to do with this proposal and kind of where it went awry on, 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 on the trajectory. So um, here's the deal. We in our community and in many places beyond our community have a market failure when it comes to early childhood education. Um, what is needed is not available to those who need it the most. Um, And this is something that I think probably hits every family in St. Louis County, but in different ways. Um, You know, even folks who can afford to access early childhood education and pay tuition for it um, often have a really hard time finding a slot somewhere. And if you don't have money to pay tuition for early childhood education, um, you're, you're, how do I say this on the air? You're SOL, too bad. Um, See if you can find something else, consider staying home. Um, Find a a grandparent or someone to help take care of your child so you can go to work. So this has been a longstanding challenge in our community for decades. Um, And I think that it has been um, exacerbated by this pandemic. And because it has been such a challenge for so long, we have had a lot of smart people in our region, um, including subject matter experts, including early childhood providers, including families um, who need this service, coming together over recent years to try to figure out how we can do better for our region's children when it comes to early childhood education. And when I say early childhood education, I mean zero to three, not just three to five, which is the age group that is typically Uh, provided for in some of our public school systems who do have early childhood programs. So um, 
I have been, you know, as someone who is passionate about this issue, even before I was a policymaker, um, have been working with some of, you know, as a volunteer with some of the groups who've been working on this issue. And um, one of those groups recently, um, the name of Ready by Five, um, did some reporting and did lots of community engagement over the past couple of years and had a pretty bold and ambitious vision um, to collect signatures to get a a sales tax on the ballot in St. Louis County and they were going to collect signatures beginning in March and the pandemic happened and they needed to do a pretty big pivot. Um, so to make a long story short, um, they reached out to the county council, which I'm the chairwoman of, and also I know it's I know that they know I've been an ally of their their effort in this work, and asked us how we could help them get on the ballot. And I said yes. I said I'm willing to try. I'm really willing to see um, what we can do for you all because I think that this is something that our region cares about, that we know that working families need access to, and we have a lot we need to do to better deliver on this big need, which, as I said, is an economic priority, but it is also a moral priority. What was going to be the main goal of this tax? Was it going to be to increase spaces at public schools for parents that want to send their kids to early childhood education? Would it be to make it more affordable? I think that was one of the criticisms that the, the goal was never firmly established. And I want to give you the chance to explain what the specific goal was. All of the above. So a lot of the a lot of what we were grappling with translating into policy was the policy recommendations that came from a report called First Steps to Equity, which was commissioned by Ready by Five and their coalition. And they make um, very bold recommendations, um, not just at the local level, but also the state level. And these included things like you mentioned. It, it is about making sure that there are more slots in high quality early childhood programs. It is about making sure there are more high quality early childhood programs by investing in the professional development of those who take care of our children ages zero to three. Um, so lots of those things and making sure that there's access, especially in areas that are underserved, which we know from so many other indicators are especially North County. I think no matter how you devise this plan, whether you do a sales tax, a property tax, I don't not County can't legalize marijuana, obviously, but legalizing marijuana, taxing that, it doesn't seem like there would be enough money locally to deal with this issue compared to if you got the state involved or the federal government involved. So why do you think it should have been a local responsibility when those other two entities could provide a lot more money that could make a difference toward those two aforementioned goals? Well, I think it's because this issue and many others, we have seen a failure of state and federal leadership on this topic. And um, that is one of the things that excites me the most about local government. We have the opportunity to fill in the gaps where our leaders elsewhere have failed us. Um, you know, I know that the sales tax was also something that was that was um, hard for a lot of people to swallow that that was the proposal. And, you know, it's one of those things where I think we have a lot of data that shows that voters in St. Louis County have said yes to sales taxes um, for things like roads, for things like public safety. And our early childhood providers and families are always at the back of the line. And when it's our turn, then we decide, oh, never mind, we don't want to do sales taxes anymore. Um, I'm sensitive to that. And I know a lot of people um, were feeling challenged about the idea of a sales tax and a regressive tax. But um, I think that there's ways that we can consider it, um, especially in light of what we're trying to, to get the money for. So I'm going to play a clip now from Councilwoman Rita Days, one of your colleagues on the council. And she ended up opposing this after, I guess, initially supporting it. She's going to explain in this clip. I'm going to play this clip and 
ask the next question. You know, I've got this legislation that's going to really help uh, early childhood education, and it's going to be uh, good for minority children and this kind of thing and the other. And so I said, well, certainly, I'm absolutely supportive of that. And, and of course, that was before I read the bill. And uh, so when I read the bill, I gave Lisa, I said, Lisa, I'm not sure of what you think this bill is doing, but it is not doing what you told me it would be doing. And so I'm not in support of uh, of a, a bill that is, is couched in early childhood, but yet you're doing development and business parks and, and all these other uh, uh, economic development issues. I'm, I'm, I'm just not, I'm not doing that. And so we did talk, and uh, I said, and you, you have nothing in this bill, really, that is supporting uh, professional development for people in childhood, uh, early childhood education. They want to advance uh, themselves educationally so they could do better, the quality of the facilities. I don't see anything in this bill relating to that. So what Councilwoman Days is getting at is this, this sales tax was couched under what's known as like an economic development sales tax which has a very specific structure, which is why you saw language about acquisition of land and industrial parks and not a lot of specific. There was some language about early childhood, but not the specific pinpoint that you wanted to get. And I I think that even some of the, uh, you know, ready by five advocates were disappointed by that, too. So how did it get to that point and why did it have to use the economic development sales tax uh, as the vehicle for this? Councilwoman Days, that we were not able to produce a bill that accurately reflected the intent of what we were trying to accomplish. And that's ultimately why I dropped the bill. Um, You know, I, one of the things that was really challenging was that we tried to sort of shoehorn our vision, um, shoehorn the vision for, for early childhood and building a better system into what you mentioned, Jason, this state enabling economic development sales tax, which, um, you know, I think we all know how intimately connected early childhood is to economic development. But, you know, in the in the years um, that this sales tax legislation was written, I don't think there was quite that broad of a vision for economic development. And perhaps, you know, I don't know the origin story of this bill, but that wasn't even something that they were thinking about. So we were trying to be creative and innovative, but um, there were different legal opinions about what we were what we could actually do. Um, and that was really hard. And that's where we need the state to come in and, and help us out, either by creating um, an early childhood, um, some sort of uh, taxing mechanism exclusively for early childhood, or helping to even broaden this, this existing statute. Um, you know, I, it's always easy to say no. What's harder is to say yes if. And I think, you know, Councilwoman Days said no to this earlier than I did. We had a bill. I was hoping we would have some time to iron out some of the, the flaws, which we all agree were there. And at the end, we just, we didn't have the time to do it. Um, so, you know, we'll have to see what happens next. I think the Ready by Five Coalition um, needs to broaden. I think that they need to regroup. Um, and I'm going to give them some space to do that. But I know they're not giving up, and I know that I'm not giving up on doing what I can as a council member and as a community leader to make sure that our ch- our region is doing better by its children and families. One of the other things that was brought up, and please correct me if I'm wrong, like a nonprofit would oversee this money as opposed to like a elected board or a board that was appointed by some entity, whether it be school districts or the county executive. And I do think that there are some, you know, on the left, too that are uncomfortable with nonprofits 
making decisions about public money. Can you address that issue? And would you rather in the let's say there is something that comes out of Jefferson City. Would you like to see whatever comes out of Jefferson City that the, the county could vote on to be like a public board that oversees this money and not a nonprofit? Yes, I understand that there is, um, you know, the topic of public money and being overseen by private or nonprofit entities is very fraught. Um, and for this topic specifically, it ended up for some people turning into a conversation about school choice, um, private schools, charter schools versus traditional public schools. Um, you know, that is an issue that I'm aware of. The system that we have for early childhood right now, though, is, um, is, is a mixed model system. It is where we have public schools working together with um, nonprofits and other providers to deliver education or to deliver childcare to, to kids and families here. And, you know, it's a much bigger question and a different question than we were seeking to answer in terms of changing that type of mixed model um, system. Um, you know, one of the things that's hard is that even some of the other solutions that exist out there um, would only be for kids three to five. And that would be really limiting because we know, because we have data that shows that some of the biggest need for childcare is for the kids that are younger than that. Yeah. And that seems to hit at another more philosophical conflict that there are public early childhood centers. So basically early childhood that is run by school districts. And then there are these private operators. So, I mean, pretty sure that I got my early childhood education when I was two or three at a synagogue, for example. And I think that there is aversion to providing any sort of public funding toward a private entity, whether it be a religious institution or a for-profit entity, even though they're a really important part of this problem. Is that what really this entire conflict is about, about not funding the public early childhood education centers, but the private ones, including potentially like religious institutions? Yes, potentially. I mean, I understand the need for transparency. I understand the need for good governance. Um, I think that we've got models um, and examples that show that, um, you know, private institutions and, and um, nonprofits can be good stewards of public money. And, and we've seen this in other ways with public money. Um, you know, but I know that this is especially fraught when it comes to education. I'm sensitive to all of that. But again, we have to be um, realistic about where we are right now. And I think we could probably do two things at once. We can focus on building a better system that we have in front of us right now, while also maybe working on some solutions in the future. I want to ask about what some lawmaker critics have said about this initiative. They feel that it's not only a Trojan horse for charter schools, but it was a Trojan horse for Maxine Clark, who I think is the head of Build-A-Bear, to get money for her project in the city because there was language in this particular bill that would have hypothetically under certain circumstances allowed county money to go out of the county. Can you address both of those points? Because I think that they have caught fire from a lot of critics of this. And I think it's only fair that you have a chance to respond to both of those uh, contentions. There were some wild conspiracy theories going on about, about this legislation and everything that led up to this legislation. My only goal was to work with advocates, um, providers, families to secure public funding so that we can build a better, more equitable, high quality early childhood system in the St. Louis region. Now, you know, I tend to be a little bit more agnostic when it comes to 
the the actual you know type of institution it goes to because what I care about the most is this the level of quality that it is that is delivered for for kids for families and that is experienced by the staff and leadership of those schools um, and if that is something that can be delivered by a charter school which I think we've have examples that it can um, I'm okay with that. I'm not aware of any charter schools in St. Louis County though that have that currently, although I understand that might be something that is happening sometime soon. But again, that was never part of my goal, nor any type of um, effort that I was aware of, um, including with, with the potential of Maxine Clark trying to get money for, for her development. Um, I don't have any data that supports that. I understand there was a lot of theories out there about that. And to me, I think that that goes to some bigger underlying issues in our community right now, um, in which perhaps this issue got caught in the crosshairs of, and that is just, you know, trust and how we, we work together as a community in the midst of everything that divides us. Where do you think this issue goes from here? Well, I hope it doesn't go away. And I hope that, um, you know, we are, having different conversations about this now than we were six months ago, potentially because of the work that's been done by Ready by Five and their coalition, potentially because of the pandemic. But um, I think people are thinking about this in different ways right now. And we need to you know, work together as a community, um, build a broad coalition with a consensus about a path forward. And so I think there needs to be some regrouping by Ready by Five. They're working on that, um, some community engagement, um, in all corners of the St. Louis region on this topic. And we definitely need some cooperation from folks at the state level. And I sincerely hope that we will see um, this issue be taken, taken up by um, our leaders in Jefferson City. We'll be right back after this short break with Councilwoman Lisa Clancy. And we're back on Politically Speaking with St. Louis County Councilwoman Lisa Clancy. I want to ask you very simply what you have thought of the county executive's response to COVID-19. More people have been diagnosed with COVID-19 or died in St. Louis County than any other place, which makes sense. This is the largest county in Missouri. Uh, and I think that he's been attacked by both ends of the political spectrum. There are some people on the, the left side of the ledger that don't feel that he's done enough. There's some people on the right that feel like his restrictions have been too restrictive. There's been questions about how he's spending the CARES Act money and whether the council should have given him that, that authority. How do you think he's done so far, given this whirlwind of reaction to his moves? He did a good job characterizing uh, all the different types of uh, feedback we have gotten. <laughs> um, you know, I think generally the county executive has done a good job. Um, it's a tough time to be a leader right now. And I think we saw in Dr. Page the ability to act very quickly to enact some, um, some protective measures in place for the people of St. Louis County that ended up setting a model for our whole region when it came to stemming the spread of coronavirus. And by that, I mean closing things down, mandating masks, um, having restrictions on gatherings, all of that sort of thing. And I think we are, we are seeing um, some of the benefits of that, although we are not out of the woods um, and we need everyone to continue to exercise caution and do what they can to keep them and their family and neighbors safe. But I think generally Dr. Page has done a pretty good job with this. I want to talk about the cohesion between St. Louis and St. Louis County. Um, I would say that at, at, if you look at it in aggregate, most of the restrictions are similar, but they're not the same. Like, we had the situation where the counties closed their parks and the cities didn't. 
which I really question how effective it was to close the county's parks if people are just going to go to city parks. And you even have a situation where the mask mandate is different. Uh, in the county, it's, I think, five years old or older. In the city, it's nine years old or older. Without getting into the specifics of the, the differences, why do you think the city and the county haven't been able to agree on everything? You know, it's curious. I, I really don't know, Jason. Um, there are, there's definitely been some differences as you, as you named in the county and the city's approaches. Um, you know, and I, 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 I don't know Mayor Cruson. I haven't been in the room where a lot of those decisions have happened. And honestly, with Dr. Page, I haven't been in the room when a lot of those decisions have happened either. Probably none of them, actually. Um, I know that Dr. Page is working closely with our experts in St. Louis County government, especially from our public health department and others who've been brought in to advise the response. He's working closely with the pandemic task force and is making the decisions based on what data and science show needs to be done. So I, you know, I can't, it is frustrating. Frustrating, though, you know, I live in South Maplewood and um, the city county line is like a block for me. And so, you know, if I had a nine year old or, you know, depending on the age of my kid, you know, his foot on one side of the street, foot on the other side of the street, he'd probably have to do different things when it comes to wearing a mask. You know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But I think, again, there's a bigger picture issue here about um, some of these silly divides in our community between city and county, for example. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. One of the things that I think garnered a lot of attention that the council did was giving County Executive Page kind of the ability to spend the CARES Act money as he saw fit. And now we have a situation where Councilwoman Day says she regrets her decision. And there's the whole question of whether there could be like a revote to for the council to take that appropriation power back, which I don't even know is possible. And I, I would assume that County Executive Page would probably veto that and there probably wouldn't be five votes to overturn it. But like, I want to give you an opportunity to basically explain like why you decided to to take that route. And also, you know, it's been about, I don't know, three or four months since that happened. And I want you to reflect on whether it turned out to be a good idea, uh, in your opinion. The question that I grappled with that I think the council grappled with is, you know, what are the conditions that we need to be true in order to get relief money out the door? So the Federal CARES Act, the $173 million that we got from the federal government was a lifeline to St. Louis County, but more importantly, the people in St. Louis County. And again, how do we get that money out to the entities, the institutions, the service providers, the people that need that money and are depending on that relief? Um, and so when Dr. Page came to the council with this proposal, I mean, I think a lot of us did really struggle and grapple with it. And it took, took us a little bit of time to make this decision. But at the end of the day, I chose to go this route because um, I wanted to remove some of the, the bureaucratic um, sort of uh, process red tape that would slow us down from getting the relief out. I still can't imagine having to approve um, item by item every week on the council agenda, each of the requests for, um, for our relief money distribution. Um, you have seen um, some of the politics that happens on the St. Louis County Council. It's part of the political process, but that would have happened every single week. Um, so I think that, you know, we decided to go away again, that would get money out quickly. And, and I don't have any regrets about that, setting up that structure. That doesn't mean that I agree with every decision that has been made necessarily. But, you know, we have a responsibility to um, not just say no to things, but say, 
yes and and yes if and so you know i welcome the opportunity from my colleagues to to say you know what i have different thoughts about this here's a different way we could go about that i mean i open door um for other suggestions about how how we could um keep this moving do you think that county executive page has spent the money quickly enough you have the situation with the money that the whole issue about how to give money to municipalities which is a question of like do you do it by per capita basis, or do you do it by the greatest need, which has been an issue with a lot of different distributions of money, like Proposition P, for example. I, I can understand like why that you want to be kind of thoughtful toward that, but it kind of, I mean, if I didn't like the fact that Page had this power and I saw that like a lot of the big decisions hadn't been made yet, I would ask, well, you said you needed it because you needed to make quick decisions, but some of these decisions are not being made very quickly. So how do you reconcile those two realities? Well, I think there's a difference between making the decisions quickly or not, and actually all of the logistical things that need to happen to get the resources out the door. Um, the federal government has not made this an easy process to implement. And we have had to be very careful um, for a lot of reasons as we would anyway, as stewards of public money, um, to make sure that, that we are we are dotting our I's and crossing our T's because the last thing that we want to happen is for the federal government and the inspector general to come back to us down the road and say that this money was not spent properly. So we are, you know, be, we're being really cautious about that because we don't want that situation to happen because that will be even more disastrous for folks. So um, I think some of the reasons why the money has, has gotten out the door more slowly, again, is not because decisions aren't getting made. It's because there's a lot of red tape and, and bureaucracy, and we're trying to do the best we can for something that there is not a playbook for. So while this unprecedented pandemic is going on, there was also an extremely contentious county executive primary, which county executive page won pretty solidly. I think he won by eight or nine points, which is pretty good. And then what happened afterwards is there wasn't much of a honeymoon period because he ended up making some staffing moves that upset a lot of people. There's the situation with the jail, which we can maybe talk about next. I think the one thing that really caused a lot of people to be upset is the dismissal of Hazel Irby, former county councilwoman who became the uh, director of the Office of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion under, under Page. And, you know, I did talk with former councilwoman Irby. I know that there were some tensions about uh, uh, the amount of money that that agency got. There was some tensions about like not outwardly supporting the county executive in his reelection bid. I read the Post-Dispatch article about the whole issue of whether uh, she should be involved in procurement or not. And I think that the reaction to her dismissal has been pretty negative because I do think that Irby has pretty wide respect, not only in the black community, but also among a lot of white people as well. So what do you make of her dismissal? And do you think that it signals broader problems that County Executive Page has with not only black political leaders, but black residents in St. Louis County. I, one of the things that was a great honor in the short time that I've been on County Council was getting to work side by side um, or on my first few months as a County Council member with Hazel Irby. She was um, the first district councilwoman when I came onto the council and remained in that role um, until, you know, Stinger, the Stinger regime ended and um, Dr. Page became county executive and brought her onto his administration. So um, 
she was a great colleague. I enjoyed working with her. We actually had been in touch very recently over the summer about some of the requests that she had um, brought to the attention of the council and asked for some help with. Um, and I think I probably spoke with her or texted with her just, you know, a few days prior to the announcement that she was no longer there and, and um, had been let go. So I was sorry to see her long tenure in county government end this way. Um, and I, I truly wish her the best. Um, you know, I don't know, I, I, I don't know that I can really comment at all on sort of the inner workings of, of the Page administration in terms of his team. I think that it wasn't a surprise to folks in the community, um, insiders or outsiders, that um, Dr. Page and Hazel hadn't necessarily been working as a team. And I don't know necessarily what the details were about that, but, um, you know, I think we saw some changes from Dr. Page that are an effort to try to, to bring his team into one into a more cohesive structure, which is something that will benefit folks in St. Louis County, too, because we need people in the county executive's office that are going to be working as a team. Before I get into county council dynamics, I do want to ask about the situation at the Justice Center. Raul Benasco uh, resigned after their letter came to you to the county council uh, accusing him a bunch of people accused him of fostering a hostile work environment. And then there's these counterclaims that he was actually trying to make changes that people within the jail did not like. I think there's going to be an external investigation into this. Uh, this seems like a pretty serious situation just because there have been problems at the jail for a really long time. And I'd be interested, I, I'd be interested like what you want to happen next, because it's one thing to have like an external investigation and for that investigation to find things, but there clearly are going to have to be changes at the jail. What, what do you, where do you see kind of the way forward on this issue? I think it is crystal clear that we need a comprehensive external investigation. Um, you know, it has been, we've got some complex issues at the jail. Um, the whole thing has a lot of layers, a lot of competing interests. Um, we've got employees and different factions of employees who aren't getting along. We've had some longstanding challenges, um, some of which I think we've re addressed related to the health care and quality of care of those in custody. Um, and then we've clearly got just an overall culture problem and a leadership issue there. So um, I think that, you know, the, the Justice Services Advisory Board, we've got some smart people around that table who have a lot to offer as we talk about what the way forward is there. They have had a lot to offer for over a year now. Um, I hope that they are being listened to in ways that, you know, they weren't necessarily a year ago. I think it's taken a while for there to hopefully be some trust um, between the Justice Services Advisory Board and other leaders in county government. But, um, they have some really good suggestions. And one of them was the outside investigation, which I think actually an audit of the jail was something that the county executive talked about almost a year ago. But we got a new leader at the time in Mr. Benasco, and I think maybe that had been tabled. But I think it's clear we need to do that. Um, so I think, you know, it's hard to, I think it would be premature to offer a lot of other policy solutions um, prior to that outside investigation happening and being complete. But, you know, if there is an urgent policy solution that we need to think about related to um, the immediate safety of the staff and those in custody, um, you know, that's, that's something we can talk about and discuss as well. Um, but I have been working closely with members of the Justice Services Advisory Board um, to make sure that we are moving forward together. So this is year nine of me covering county council, and there have been long gaps where I've been doing other things. And one of the things that has been a common theme 
is there are often coalitions that either support the county executive's agenda or oppose it. Um, and there, it varies issue by issue because most of the things the county council does are approved unanimously. I think that has to be pointed out to people. But um, basically, there's been this four-person, four, four-person Democratic coalition on the council that has passed some things that the Republicans have disagreed with. And with Councilwoman Days becoming more critical of the Page administration, with Shalonda Webb replacing Rochelle Walton Gray, and I don't know if Ernie Ernie Trakis is going to beat Bob Burns. I think that that's a 50-50 toss-up. I, I think that there's a real chance that the council after 2021 is a lot more hostile to the county executive than it was over the past year or so. So you are the you are the leader of the council now. Where does the council go from here after 2021? Do you think that there can be consensus, even though I guess the coalitions are shifting? Or do you see some pretty rocky roads ahead for the council and the county executive? When it comes to council dynamics, um, I have a hard time separating everything you just mentioned, Jason, with the current climate and the landscape of what is going on in our community right now. And that continues to be um, the coronavirus pandemic. And I think that has definitely played into some of some of the divisions we've seen, obviously, among council members, but also um, between the council and the county executive. We are in what we're in the messy middle of the coronavirus pandemic. This isn't day one. It's not over at it's what Brene Brown would call day two. <laughs> and that is a normal, messy part of the process um, that we are all waiting through right now. And it's affecting it's affecting collaboration. And, and I but I also think that's, you know, democracy is messy. That's to be expected. Um, now, when it comes to the council dynamic moving forward. Um, you know, as the chairwoman, part of my job is is to collaborate, and I think that's something that should be everyone's job on the council, whether or not it's with each other or, um, you know, with other leaders in county government, including the county executive's office. Um, it is easy to say no to things, um, but I wasn't elected to just say no, and I don't think any of my colleagues were either. Um, we are here to solve problems and to address community priorities. Um, so while it's easy to say no, what's harder? is actually figuring out a better way. And that's what's more important. And therein is where the, the work is for all of us to do together as policymakers. Um, so that's what I want the council to be committed to. That is what I'm committed to. That's what I want all of us in county government who have to make difficult decisions every day to be committed to. It is figuring out um, not just no, but yes, if. Um, you know, I know also there's a lot of noise out there. It is easy to get sucked into um, Twitter and social media because it's always at our fingertips. But that's not also, I mean, that, that's not where the work happens either. Well, Councilwoman, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you have at least another couple of years. So we're going to have you back probably next year where I, I assume we'll still be talking about coronavirus and other issues we cannot even imagine. And for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How could people follow you either on Twitter or any other parts of the World Wide Web? Yes. So um, you can follow me on Twitter at Lisa D. Clancy, um, all one word. And then I am on Facebook at um, Lisa Clancy, St. Louis County Councilwoman, District 5. Thank you very much. And until next time, so long. <laughs>